Hello, welcome to Movie Club. We're doing Escape from New York today. Welcome to Movie Club. Call me Sean Chatfield. Is that cool? You got it. Sean Chatfield. Do I sound cool like Kurt Russell? No, that, yes. that pause is a no. Yes. You sound more like I Kurt. I had to think about Your it. Your silence yeah, was definitely. The answer is a resounding <laughs> yes from me. You Thank sound you. like Kurt Russell at his wine tasting events that he does now. He does wine tasting events? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's You're okay. more on that side. He's 72 years old at this point. He can. Dang. The fact that he can still taste wine at that age is amazing. Kurt so, Russell is old. Good for him. I actually looked. I thought he was dead. <laughs> Really? No. So I had he to was, Google it, but was I was thinking Patrick Swayze. Oh, I always yeah. get Kurt Russell and Patrick Swayze. You know Swayze what? They have up. a similar look and hair. Yeah. Yeah. They could easily be in each other's movies. Kurt Russell could have dominated uh, Roadhouse. Yeah. And yeah. Patrick Swayze could have saved the president in this movie. And it would have been just as good. Yeah. Uh, but Kurt Russell could not have pulled off Ghost or Dirty Dancing. And I don't think Patrick Swayze could have. Uh, taking on all the big trouble in Little China. So maybe it's best that they stay in their lanes. Yeah. Have you seen... Um, well, let's not talk about other movies. Well, we can. I'm, gonna, I'm I guarantee I will at some point. Yeah, we'll leave that to the experts. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this movie, Escape from New York. I didn't see it. This was a oh. Sean pick. Yes. And uh, do you want to talk about... Sure. ...why you picked it? I... Picked it because we had had some longer movies, and I thought I'm gonna pick a movie. A lot of times, my picking two has been comedies or things that I've seen before, and I was like, I want to pick something I have never seen before. Oh, but okay. I always meant to. And you know, something is, short and not funny. It was short, <laughs> and yeah, new to me, but a classic as far as I was aware. You know, people involved in it are all. Very successful. I think even James Cameron is involved in this movie. He did. He did some map paintings. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because that's before he was like a director. He like worked on this movie as like a map painter, which is crazy. Yeah, James Cameron made a bunch of money in Hollywood doing special effects before. I think he had already made a couple movies, but not like... uh, his, His big first movie was Terminator, and that was three or four years after this movie. Yeah. So yeah, this is pre Terminator James Cameron, you know, when he was still young and innocent. But it definitely the art vibe of it, I could see some Terminator in there actually, and that kind of adds up to this movie. There's some like the computer effects whenever they use it, it's a little, you know, '80s cheese. Maybe it's just the style of the t- the time. But um, what, what computer effects are you talking about in this movie? Yeah, you know when it's like. We're going over New York and it's like looking at all this like green wireframe, like yeah. going over like that kind of stuff. Did you know that that's actually not computer effects? What is it? Was it all hand drawn? That was, uh, they made a model of the city and then they covered it in glow in the dark tape. Oh, they, they grid wow. it out with tape because computer effects of the time were like so insanely expensive. Yeah. This is 1980. Yeah. Right. And this they isn't didn't a even huge really budget have computers. Movie. Uh, they had $7 million for this movie. Yeah. So that's just, uh, they're faking computer effects in that wow. scene. Wow. Which I think is amazing because it's the most rudimentary shit wireframe. Yeah. Like your phone could spit out better computer effects today. Uh, but they did it analog. I love that. I, because I'm not good at computer effects. And that's why I love doing the in five minutes videos because I can do that. And so if you're telling me I had to Swede something like that, like they did, that that is, I'm all for that. That's really cool. Yeah, I was impressed when I found that out. Yeah, it looked good. I thought it was a computer effect. So. I think it was really, I mean, I, I did not realize, by the way, till now that this was an, a 1981 movie. Yeah. And it really was kind of Tron. And that wasn't until a year later that you they were like actually really utilizing CG in any kind of normal way. Yeah, yeah. they the filmed this year. in 1980, actually. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Russell's 29 years old in this movie. Yeah, I huh. I read that, and I also read that they didn't want Kurt Russell, the studio didn't want Kurt Russell to be in this movie because he was so affiliated with Disney. Yeah, yeah. He, was, uh, he was in the Computer War Tennis Shoes. Which yeah. I used to love that movie. I've never seen that movie. I don't know what it's about. I, I read that it came out in 1969. Yeah. Did they have tennis uh, shoes on their computers in the 60s? <laughs> it was just like he was like, I mean, I, this is my childhood memory of it when I was like six and I watched it. I okay. used to love it. But if I recall correctly, he was, yeah, just like, an, like he's data, right? But like in oh. the 60s. Uh, yeah, Oops. I saw, this is one that I had never seen and I watched 
I was the one guy that raced to watch this when Disney Plus first came out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, mo the most, it was clearly written at a time where no one knew shit about computers. It was like <laughs> yeah. a kid's in the same room as a computer and then like someone spills something. So he gets all the computer data into his brain. Like, so anyway, but, yeah. but that was Kurt. It was that Kurt Russell. Was that Kurt is Russell. Kurt Russell. Wow. He is the computer that wore tennis shoes. He was shoes. in another one too, right? Uh, Disney movie. Uh, he was like a Disney child. Actually. Yes, I don't know yeah, a bunch. Other, I don't know yeah. what his other one was. Supposedly, too, rumor has it, there's always been um, a myth that uh, Walt Disney's final words as he died were Kurt Russell. That really? He was, he was talking about the casting of Kurt Russell for something wow. when he passed. He was talking about work stuff to the moment he was gone, and they said he, the last thing he Do said was Kurt Do you think that's weird for Kurt Russell? Like a cool fact. I think it's dope. I think it's dope. I'd be like, ha. If Walt Disney's last, last words were Sean Chaffee, I'd be like, that's yeah. cool. Hell yeah. That's his rosebud. I'm his rosebud. Who Maybe was the coolest guy you met? Sean Chaffee. Oh, you know. <laughs> Maybe he was just so angry. Like, if you cast Kurt Russell. Yeah. Yeah, Kurt Russell. I better not be Fucking Kurt Russell. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what did him in. Seriously, he got so upset. So maybe if it was, you know, like uh, Jeff Bridges, Walt Disney would still be alive today. Oh. Yeah. That's what, what I'm well, getting at. Walt Disney would be 117 years old today. Was some, he born Some that, shit that, like wow, that. Oh, yeah. Well, Disney wasn't founded until the 20s. That's true. Uh, I guess they're having the 100th year of it being like... Founded as like a studio, right? Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. All bullshit. Mm -hmm. Disneyland's like our hundred year anniversary is like you were made in nineteen fifty five. Come on, yeah, nice try. Any amateur Disney historian knows that. Nice try. Anyways, Anyways. enough about that inferior uh, movie company. Yeah, let me. We're talking about Avco's hit movie Escape from New York. I'm gonna give you some behind the scenes of this episode if you'll okay. permit me. Um. It, we were filming this earlier than we usually do, and Rocco is about like moments away from getting on an airplane to fly out to PAX. And he was like, hey, I'm, we're so busy. I don't know if I could film this one. And I said, I think you'd like this movie. You haven't seen it. Mm. And I kind of made Rocco do this one. And so I'm hoping he gives it a good score, or at least appreciated the movie, because I will feel oh. bad <laughs> if he ends up hating this movie, because it's like, I made him do <laughs> I made him. Well, do you this made one. me do it, too. I did. Yeah. But I, I mean, it wasn't. I, mean, I got shit to do later as well. I'm OK, going to sorry. Walmart. Well, we were talking about doing it on our normal filming day, but without Rocco. But I was like, ah, well, we can Rocco squeeze it in for us. Well, Rocco, what did you think? Um... Uh, honestly, it it kind of made me miss Ace Ventura a little bit. <laughs> oh no! Uh, just because you know, I just I just I wished I wanted to see more movies that had just aged like milk on the sun. Mm -hmm. um, but this one didn't somehow. Yeah. Um, we already watched Babylon that aged like milk on the fucking <laughs> a, a nuclear month, fusion. A month after it came out, put a bottle of milk in the middle of a nuke. Um, but. Uh, no, I, I every time I see a John Carpenter movie, I go, wh how, why didn't I why did I not watch that sooner? Like mm -hmm. every single one of them. I'm just like, yeah, this was something I already knew I would have liked, but never had found out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm watching this just like, OK, I think half the video games I played in the late 90s uh, came from this. Um, And that's why I told you to watch it, I think was like, I don't know your final shaker or whatever but i do think like i at least you'll appreciate the fact that this is so metal gear <laughs> yeah and uh that i was surprised by that and also surprised by like every male actor i've ever liked is just in this which i did not know mm. i'm watching it's like uh tom uh i forget tom uh it's there's so many, there's too many toms i, I always want to say tom scarrett but this is your favorite actor of all time, Tom right? Atkins. No, Tom Atkins. Yeah, uh, was in Night of the Creeps, Halloween Three, shit like that. I've always loved this actor. He just randomly shows up in it. He's helping out the the main dude who starts the mission. I forget what the character's name is, but that's like guy in all these old westerns. Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. Fucking Ernest Borgnine shows up out of nowhere. I didn't know. Uh. The fucking chef was gonna be in this, dude. I I did not know Isaac Hayes was in this. Yeah, I never I've never seen a clip of that or anything. I did I didn't know that. And I just did a whole Isaac Hayes deep dive when I was talking mm. about it for uh, Record Club. Yeah, and then I'm like, well, I didn't see this tidbit. What the hell? How'd I miss that? Yeah, uh, How, there, how'd you skip over the Duke? I don't know. I don't know, but, but I did. But I did. Um, this movie I saw was. Um, 
influenced by a movie we had done movie we have done before of Death Race, which makes sense. Oh to yeah, me. of course. It, it I had a lot of Death Race race vibes in this. Um, just like the aesthetic, I think, of it. Um, I guess I could see that a little bit. I yeah. heard it was uh, influenced by a couple different things. I didn't see Death Race on the list, but mm. you know, probably just looking at different sources. Different list, yeah. Death Race is kind of you know like a near future post apocalyptic America. Yeah. Um, uh, where kind of you know the government is maybe not the best. You know, maybe not the hero might mm-hmm. might secretly be the villain. <laughs> yeah, um, and I can see that kind of being uh, a theme that was borrowed for Escape from New York. I also think, I mean, what I took from that too was like, I think all the cars, even like the Duke's car with like the chandeliers on the front. You know, like like that to mm-hmm. me was like that uh, that look. Every car looked so different. It had like the cages for the set of the windows. You know, yeah, it looked like pretty death race to me. Just the cars itself. Um, totally. Well, I had seen this movie maybe like 15 years ago and I kind of like didn't really enjoy it Hmm. back then. I definitely liked it more this time around. Um, but yeah, it's not my favorite John Carpenter movie. I think that I love John Carpenter and John Carpenter is awesome. He's made like more hits than Steven Spielberg. If you ask me. Um, Halloween, The Thing. I love The Thing, yeah. Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., Big Trouble in Little China. I haven't seen that one either. Um, I I thought we watched that together at some point. Did we? Maybe, maybe not. I don't Dang, know. I've man. definitely seen that movie with like 10 different people. I huh. Now, Big Trouble in Little China. I love that movie. Oh, man. We'll have to do that sometime. But yeah, I'm fine. Not next Dude, week. if we had a whole Kurt Russell deep dive, I love Kurt Russell, honestly. Uh, something about him where he's always just angry and i just i don't know if he's still charming somehow in this movie he like is maybe a little i think he was really trying to get away from the disney persona and went so like i'm so gruff and it was just nothing but that it's like all right you can show a little because his acting is pretty yeah one-dimensional in this which is fine this is kind of it doesn't call for much more than that you know yeah I, i still thought it was fun like yeah sometimes sometimes that works you know what i mean it's just like when they cast keanu in something he, he can't necessarily do every role at that level, you know, mm-hmm. but certain roles, it's like, yeah, okay. Keanu and this one, this. I think, was that. Yeah. You, know, you don't, you didn't need him to have a super like intense character development. Although yeah. I heard well, it would have been nice. He <laughs> didn't break character on set for this movie. Oh, yeah. Which seems like that'd be really annoying. Yeah. Like, hey, Kurt, you want a sandwich? No. It's like, okay. No it would have been nice today. if there was some character development. I always say that, in my opinion, that is what most bad movies are lacking. Um, not that this is a bad movie, but it was lacking some character development. Um, but Snake Plissken is kind of um, intended maybe to be an iconic character, kind of like Batman, kind of like Superman. Yeah, yeah. You don't really get character development. In, you know, Batman is Batman. He's always just like, you know, he is this, he's more of an idea than a character, right? Sure. Snake Plissken, I feel, represents an idea, which is like, the jaded anti-hero, the person who's been burned by the government. He's the most badass trained government agent, lone wolf warrior in all of America, but he's a criminal. They're sending him to jail because he's turned his back on the government. Or maybe the government has turned its back on him. That was actually, for me, the most interesting part of the story. And that, you know, you could argue there is a little bit of character development within that kind of scope of... um, Figuring out where Snake's allegiance lies. Like, does he yeah. care about America? Does he care about stopping this nuclear war? Does he care about the people in this prison, like Cabby and the Brain? Right. Or is he, or does he just care about himself? Is he just doing it for himself? At the end of the movie, I feel like that's the big question mark that they leave you with. Right. Um, yeah. What are his true motivations? It, and again, I, I'm going to be the person who keeps chiming in these things, but man, uh, man, how much of Metal Gear came from this shit? It's yeah. unreal. Even down, even down to the ending. I mean, we'll get there, but how much of that uh, sort of like? Well, obviously, this movie had a huge influence on Hideo Kojima. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. The Snake in the in Metal Gear and Snake in this. Well, Snake is called <laughs> Snake Plissken. 
in Metal Gear. He's Pliskin as no, well. Not in, in not, Metal Gear Two. He goes by the name Pliskin. Yeah, he goes by that. Oh, but he's I, also Snake, so he is Snake Pliskin. I, oh my god, I didn't realize they went by Pliskin in Metal Gear Two. That's hilarious. And even on Metal Gear Nintendo, they had like box art, and it was just fucking Kurt Russell with an eye patch. Like, I think it was actually a photograph that they like digitized of him. Yeah, I, yeah, I think the I think the original who was the guy who played uh, uh, fucking. Uh, Terminator, the guy who came back from the future. Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. I'm pretty sure it was. The, uh, the, no, John Connor's dad. I can't think of that guy. Uh, ask Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, you think of Kyle Reese. Yeah. Kyle Reese. I don't know the actor's name. He was that, Hicks. That, so. uh, yeah, yeah. That actor, it's the, the original Metal Gear game has a painting of that guy on it. It's straight up like they painted over a photo. But then like, yeah, there's stuff in the game and other other material that it's like there's kurt russell there's sean connery there's like it, it's like yeah bro you just use these are the game yeah yeah. yeah yeah interesting yeah so that to me is why even just watching it and i haven't played that many metal gear things like really but i knew enough to be like i think you should just at least at least you should watch it i told rocco like Either watch it for this or don't that's fine if you can't but like watch it at some point yeah, yeah. <laughs> because i think you should just see it um, yeah, so let's get into the plot of this film. Uh, the movie starts, it opened, it was, so this movie was made in 1980, it's released in 1981. The movie opens in the year 1988, and they explain that, uh, American society's fucked, and it's a post-apocalyptic world. They don't explain what has made the, the world go full apocalypse. Yeah. Um... But in the novelization of this movie, yeah, there's a book written on it. Oh, they explain okay. that uh, essentially this is post World War Three. Um, oh. So we, you know, we can assume that just uh, much like the World War Three that is currently happening in America and the world, the economic collapse and infighting and a rise in crime and a rise in distrust in the society has led to basically New York. Uh, the island of Manhattan has been converted into a giant maximum security prison. It's more like a prison colony, actually, because they just walled off the island and then put all they ship all the criminals in there and they're like, do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, just make your own society. You just can't get out of the island. Once you go in, you're there for life. Yeah. Which I thought was a very fun premise like you're in new york city but it's all just prisoners and everything is like the wild west and the idea of that is just like that's where the movie starts i'm like oh i'm into this like, this is easy yeah. to explain and this seems this is fun love the idea they just gave up on new york that's <laughs> yeah. awesome of all cities too that's new just york. like seal it up and fuck them <laughs> like that's that was amazing yeah well i mean new york in the 70s i think people mm -hmm. were ready to give up on new york yeah it was a crime infested shithole so maybe the idea was like yeah just wall this off and let them have it that's what that's what blows my mind again i i really swore this movie was done later in the 80s but yeah it being filmed in 1980 like you were saying that makes a lot of sense it being that that fresh in everyone's mind mm-hmm I went to New York for the first time in 1989. I was four years old. Wow. Wow. And it was still a crime-infested shithole. Yeah. I oh, remember, yeah. Uh, like, being that young and having my mind blown. It was the first time. I remember, like, uh, we took a bus or a train or something to Grand Central Station, and we got off the station. We just walk on into the street of New York. And I have this distinct memory of looking down the street and seeing, like, Shop after shop after shop that just said like peep show. Oh wow! Nude girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Twenty five cents, and I, I was four years old, and it was the first time I ever saw like anything advertising like naked women for money. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I was shocked by it. I remember like the signs. I remember the old cars that were driving back then. Dang! Like it's this very distinct memory I have of like I'm in New York. What yeah. what is all this? Mm -hmm. I think I even asked my mom like, "What's a peep show?" And she's like, "Don't <laughs> don't even ask." What like. Get, Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny how every movie that came out around that time, that it, that was the New York. It, it it felt like a caricature. I had never been there. Um, but, you know, um, every movie I even watched as a kid, I remember seeing the Ninja Turtles movie, and it was all about how, like, you could barely go outside. And it's like, man, they were just lifting that directly from, you know, oh, yeah, a real feeling at the time. Huh. And I, I always felt, I was like, why do, why do people go to New York? This is all how everyone feels about it. Like, it, it just seems so sci-fi to me. 
Uh, well, it was and still is to this day the most populated city in America. And I just think when you have that many people in one spot, you're going to have a lot of shitlords. Yeah, and they're know. all on top of each other. <laughs> it's a weird place. That's why it's so aggressive. Everybody's like, you know, there's not enough pizza to go around. Everybody's got to fight for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, so Escape from New York. 1988, society collapses. They build this prison, a uh, prison wall around Manhattan. Then we flash forward, skip forward to the year 1997. Which, you know, it's kind of arbitrary. Like, <laughs> But I do appreciate how movies in the 80s would set themselves in the like near future. Yeah. yeah. Which I guess 1980 to 1997 is 17 years in the future. That'd be like today setting a movie in the year 2030. I guess 2040? you could say... 2040? Uh, yeah, 2040. You're right. 7 yeah. plus 10. 2040. I guess if you told me something happened in 2040... You say whatever you want. I'm, you know, that to me right now <laughs> right. seems so far out. I was like, yeah, maybe there's a post-apocalyptic uh, wasteland and they build a jail around Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember really liking uh, Children of Men for that reason. I felt like that was one of the only movies of the 2000s that did that too, where I think I think all the shit that happens in that movie is in like 2017 or something like mm. that. Like that, the only one a, a little bit ahead. It made it like that much scarier when you saw it. Didn't V for Vendetta also do that? V for Vendetta so. wasn't that far. Yeah, it came out in 05, but it was, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, it was yeah, like 2016 or 17. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> set, set in fall 2005. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so this movie set in 1997. And the premise of the movie is that the president's airplane, Air Force One, codename David 14, has been hijacked by um, some sympathizers who want to liberate the prisoners of New York. They accuse the police of being racist and brutal. Uh, so they pretty much got the future correct in that sense. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to crash land the plane into the prison colony. Uh, the president, played by Donald Pleasance, you may remember him as Dr. Loomis from Halloween. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Duh. yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't even think about that. Uh, yeah. John Carpenter reuses his actors like time and again yeah. in all his movies. This actually, I think, is the, his uh, like all-star cast. Yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis is uncredited as the AI voice yeah. in the beginning of the movie. I heard about that. Dr. Oh. Loomis uh, plays the president. The dude who played uh, Michael Myers is the co-writer of this movie. Interesting. Um, oh, wow. This is the first Shit. time he worked with Kurt Russell, but he would go on to work with Kurt Russell again in The Thing. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then... And then anybody who hasn't been in another John Carpenter movie is just like some classic character actor, like Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know he was in this either. Yeah. Uh, Isaac Hayes, like you already mentioned. Yeah. Ernest Borgnine. Um, And then my favorite, you already mentioned it, but Lee Van Cleef is the villain in uh, the Dollars trilogy. uh, Aside from Clint Eastwood, he plays the man in black. He's like the ultimate badass. Yeah. Bad guy from the sixties. I was so happy to see Lee Van Cleef. In this movie, yeah, I personally yeah. love Lee Van Cleef, and he never really gets featured in a movie. He's always like the supporting character, never yeah. the main guy. I didn't know uh, that um, until I was kind of looking stuff up about this movie. I didn't know he did, he had like a one, he's like, I'll give you one day oh, for this wow. movie. They had one day with him, so they had a full day, night kind of thing. Yeah, and, I read uh, that too. It's kind of fascinating because he's in a good majority of the movie. Yeah, he's in a lot, but I guess yeah. he always just call well, him on the thing. When you think about it, yeah, yeah, he's just always in a chair yeah. checking in like, all right, where are you now, Snake? Yeah. God damn it, they're not going to get him. And then he's in like three locations. Yeah, he's in yeah. three rooms, but it's always, oh, interesting. They paid for one day and they a uh, ton of his close-ups were not in focus. Oh. And they were fuck. just like, uh, use them and yeah. we'll just do our best <laughs> around them. It's a low budget movie. Uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't feel like a low budget movie. It feels like an mm-hmm. old movie, but it doesn't feel like it's a $7 million movie. No. Um, and the sets were very impressive. I thought, and they, they, you, you get the whole feeling that the entire New York is like that. You know, you don't yeah. see that many blocks of it, but enough, you see enough to buy it. Sadly, uh, the entire city of St. Louis is like that because that's where they filmed this movie mm-hmm. in East St. Louis. They built no sets. It was they, just there. Yeah, they, they actually, <laughs> uh, I was reading that they set, uh, sent the uh, location scout on a tour across America to find the shittiest city in America. <laughs> is that, is that real? Yes. <laughs> they needed a place that looked like a post-apocalyptic that's New York. Awesome. And he's like, uh, I think East St. Louis will do. <laughs> East St. Louis is such a shitty city in 1980 
that John Carpenter was actually able to convince them to turn the power off. Yeah, I saw for, that. For 10 blocks. Oh, I didn't. Imagine wow. how shitty your city is <laughs> that, that, that the matter. mayor will sell your ass yeah. out for a movie company. Like, oh, zoom, man. where'd the power go? Oh, sorry. Uh, they're making a movie 10 blocks and it was, away. It wasn't just one night, too. It was. They were there for two months. <laughs> oh, my power. God. I had no uh, I clue. I assumed it would come on and off, but in the wide shots, yeah. they, they needed the electricity turned off. And yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't like all the time it was off, but that's so fucking funny. Yeah. Uh, side note: I read this story that Kurt Russell got like lost on on set in East St. Louis and ran into some gang members. Uh, but he was in full costume, and they like didn't fuck with him. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Like, who, who was it? Sorry, who? Kurt, Kurt Russell. Oh, Russell. Kurt, okay. He has wow. that gun and like the he, patch. Well, he had like the muscles and the eye patch, and they're just like, nah, we're <laughs> nah, good. We're good. Nah, not that computer with tennis <laughs> shoes. Uh, his tennis shoes are too computerized. <laughs> yeah. So the president um, gets into a escape pod. He's able to survive the crash landing of Air Force One in New York, and they send um paramilitary group into the prison colony to retrieve him. But when they get there, they find that the pod is empty and this freak, this guy, this character who goes by the name Romero. Mm-hmm. By the way, did you notice that there were characters named Romero and <laughs> Cronenberg and Hawk <laughs> and Remy? These are all like references oh. to famous filmmakers. Interesting. Um, Romero what? is there. He kind of looks like a zombie too. Dude, yeah. Frank Doubleday <laughs> is the actor. That guy was wild looking. His hair and his, his everything. He was... Shouts out to the hair and makeup department. Yeah, no they shit. Did a good job. Good job. He they he tells them, uh, if you don't leave, we're gonna kill the president. If you come back in here, we're gonna kill the president. So you have to go right now. And they're like, what do you want? And he's like, we'll let you know. So they don't even know what they want. Um, so the paramilitary group leaves. At the same time, Kurt Russell is being sent into the prison colony because he's robbed a bank. And it's funny because when he's being kind of shuttled in they they give him the option there's like a radio recording telling you like well we could just kill you and cremate you now yeah uh, let us know if you don't want to go in because once you go in you're not coming back out but they pull him aside and they offer him a one-time deal a pardon for all of his crimes if he is able to retrieve the president and a cassette tape that the president has in movie terms this is known as a MacGuffin, because you never find out what's on that tape yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna ask. I was like, "Yeah, did I miss?" They anything? play it but for like a, a second. Yeah, but we don't. We we, but we aren't given the ver- the hyper specifics. No, we don't right? Know okay, okay. Right. I just want to make sure I didn't, you know, it's whiff on that one. Something to do with they explain that the tape has something to do with nuclear war. Right. But the president right. was on his way to a summit, a peace negotiation of some sort with Russia. Again, this movie was made in 1980, so it's still the height of the Cold War. Yeah, yeah. So he's on a peace summit on his way uh, with this tape. It's going to bring world peace or some shit, but he yeah. crash lands in this prison colony, and the summit is in like 22 hours or 24 hours. So they need to get him out so that he can go to this summit and save the world. Um, so that's why they're offering this deal to Snake Plissken, played by Kurt Russell, and... You know, Snake's like, why me? And they kind of go down this laundry list of why he's the biggest badass in the world. You know, he he's a war hero from World War III. He, like, single-handedly infiltrated Leningrad, which was the Soviet name for the city of St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. Um, and long story short, he accepts the deal, kind of begrudgingly, because he doesn't yeah. really care. And... They kind of even call him out on this because they inject him with these things in his neck. And he's like, what's that? And they're like, yeah, your little plan to take this uh, airplane and fly it to Canada. That's not going to work. We just injected bombs into your arteries. So if you're not back here in 24 hours, kaboom. Again, uh, such Metal Gear DNA in this. Oh, my God. Like nanomachine shit? Yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, uh, Hideo Kojima ripped off this entire movie. But I, I thought, think time and again, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, Hideo ripped this off. I thought it was a smart plot point, though, because, yeah, my brain was like, well, he could just fly out of there. Like, yeah, why would you yeah. do this? And then making uh, them do it. It also adds a sense of urgency to right. this movie. Yeah, like, yeah. this movie's going to take place over the course of one day. Um, right. You know, this isn't going to go on forever. And, like, you know, being. It, you, you watch enough movies, you know. 
you see that clock and it's like, well, that thing's getting to fucking 10 seconds at the end. Like, <laughs> He's you, not going to get there. Oh, go. Eight hours. Know, yeah. Eight hours. <laughs> they take it off, please. Like, you know, it's going to come down to the last second, but you're still along for the ride. It's fine. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that is pretty obvious. I wasn't thinking about that. You know, mm. I was like, maybe he'll get suck the things that, you know, in total recall, Arnold Schwarzenegger pulls a bomb out of his nose in the middle of the movie. So yeah. that's true. Uh, and, you know, actually the same guy, Terminator, he, they pulled the uh, chip out of his head in a really great deleted scene. I um, didn't see that one. There's like a 20 minute deleted scene about taking the chip out of the. Terminator oh, I did head. see that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't need to watch that again. No. Anyway. Well, it was deleted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To <laughs> their credit. They I'm not mad. There's either. always stuff online about how they were wrong to remove that. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. I think they knew what they were doing. Um. Yeah. I Generally, I feel with most deleted scenes, they were deleted for good reason. <laughs> So yeah. it's hard to complain about a scene that wasn't supposed <laughs> to be in the movie yeah. Agree. to begin with. Um, so that's that's kind of the setup for this movie. And then they just send him in there and we're off to the races. Yeah. You know, and I feel like I was wondering how we we're going to talk about this on Movie Club because we could go, you know, like we can go beat by beat. But it he's pretty much in there and then it's like fucking nuts <laughs> for a while. There was one part in particular where he... Um, Goes into a, like a some guy starts banging on the sewer lids, uh-huh. and then like the subway. Like they mentioned before, like the crazy people are in the subways. Those are like the really like, insane yeah, people. Yeah. Stay out of the subway, and people start bursting out, kind of like z- zombies, almost a little bit, like you know, bursting out. And then so some lady, he goes in a restaurant to hide. Some girls in there, and I thought this is gonna be like the girl who is with them the entire way, yeah. you know, like take me with you snake, whatever. Yeah. And the second she kisses him, the, she gets swallowed up by the floor and like killed like instantly. And I was like, Oh <laughs> fuck, this is brutal. Yeah. It was shocking to me. Yeah. Trivia note. That was Kurt Russell's uh, real life wife at the time. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. And she had just given birth to their baby, their first son, Boston Russell. Whoa. I know the name because I always thought Boston <laughs> would be a cool name for a kid. And then today I found out Kurt Russell has a son named Boston. So wow. <laughs> great minds think alike. Um, so yeah, his wife gets eaten in the, in the pretty early in the movie. The novelization of this movie explains that America is slowly going insane as a result of the use of nerve gas during world war three. Oh, so that's why there are so many crazy people living in the sewers down below. They're all wow. nerve gas victims. Oh, now the novelization explains so much backstory yeah. to this movie. <laughs> I have all the answers. Kurt Russell lost his eye in his invasion of Leningrad in World War Three. No shit. Kurt Russell, they actually filmed the bank robbery. Oh, they did? Yeah. Oh, that, I didn't know He gets that. sent to this jail because he robbed a bank. That right. was going to be a scene. That's how the movie was going to open. But test audiences were like, this is really boring and confusing. But you <laughs> actually see that... Uh, he commits a bank robbery and then he has like one friend. Um, they kind of allude this when he meets the brain later on in the movie. He's like, you betrayed me, Howard. I guess Kurt Russell and his friend were captured by the police and like brutally tortured. Uh, and that's why oh, yeah. he like resents the police and the American governments. Oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I kind of you said it once you're in here. Just it's a bunch of shit happening, which. 15 years ago when I first saw this movie was kind of why I didn't like it so much. And it it kind of really is my only complaint with the movie now is it just kind of seems like the movie just kind of like bumbles along plot point to plot point to plot point without making like satisfying developments in my opinion. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, there's not like enough, there's not really a lot to think anticipate or think about like oh how's that gonna work yeah oh is he gonna make this mm-hmm. oh it's it's just kind of like you're watching kurt russell just be a badass and take everybody yeah. on which is cool but i agree it, it also kind of all just kind of blends together after a certain point yeah it's fun to watch but you know like when you're let's compare i mean you're gonna compare other carpenter movies let's you know you watch the thing i feel like each scene in that movie ends with kind of a Fuck, what now? There's like a progression, progression. Yeah. of escalation. And to compare it to another action movie, like Die Hard, right? Sure, yeah. Die Hard yeah, starts yeah. with Bruce Willis with no shoes on. Yeah. Fucking totally 
fucked. Mm -hmm. And slowly he turns the tables on everybody. Like now I got a gun. Ha ha ha. Like Mm -hmm. that scene. We should really do Die Hard for Movie Club. It's amazing. Yeah, we should. Um, But every scene is a problem to figure out almost. Like how are we going to get that? And also every problem in Die Hard that he figures out, he becomes stronger. And so you kind of see him chip away. It's like this. And he slowly brings it like this. Yeah. This movie, Kurt Russell flies in here with a gun and he's pretty much just fucking already a badass. Yeah, totally. He's already at 100%. Mm -hmm. And he just continues to maintain being 100% badass throughout the movie. That's why I say he's kind of like Batman. He's just iconic. Yeah. And I do agree that if, like, yeah, he started maybe like he started with one little gun and then, yeah. By the end, he has his machine gun or something that he got from Duke or something. Yeah. That yeah. would be like, okay, now he's, yeah, he's leveling up a little bit, but he never needs to level up. He's already at, as you said, 100%. Yeah. He never really changes or grows. And I had fun watching. I, I love Kurt Russell, whatever. It was fun to watch. But yeah, you're right. It wasn't wasn't the same. It wasn't, uh, didn't quite hit that level. Yeah. Or me, any other level. That's my only complaint about this movie. Yeah, um, I agree. And then I feel like, well, I do have one other complaint. If if you have a movie like this where your character is just 100% badass, okay, cool. But this is the classic example of your movie is only as strong as your villain. Mm-hmm. And the main villain is the, the king of New York who goes by the name The Duke, mm-hmm. which is another film reference to John Wayne. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Duh, I, wasn't even, filled with, so there's Romero, I wasn't even thinking about Cronenberg, that. Cronenberg, Duke, <laughs> Howard Hawks is uh, the inspiration for the name Hawk, I'm mm. assuming. Where's Kubrick? Where was the Kubrick? Where, pres- why wasn't President Spielberg? Yeah. <laughs> where's fucking Linklater? Where's Tarantino? Come on. Yeah. Where's, where's Wells? Where's uh, Denny Villanueva? Where, he doesn't fight the Daniels? Exactly. Where's Daniels? <laughs> Uh, good bit. Comedy bit. We're a comedy Classic trio. bit. Take care, everyone. Good night. The Duke is played by Isaac Hayes. And again, he, I like Isaac Hayes yeah. and I, I like his look, but I felt like the character could have been more interesting or more mm-hmm. like fleshed out, you know? Yeah. I, I was honestly surprised because they alluded to the Duke for a while. Like you, you see the Duke only once because he'll kill you. You know, yeah. whatever. Something like that where I was like, oh, who is the Duke? That's great. And then the introduction was like, oh, here he is. It's like, oh, yeah. I thought it'd be like a reveal. Actually, yeah. <laughs> when he first shows up on screen, I wasn't even quite sure if he was the Duke. <laughs> yeah, I had the same I moment. I had the same like moment. Romero, the guy who's like, if, if you don't leave, we're going to kill him. He's standing next to Isaac Hayes, and they both appear to be of equal importance and stature. Yeah. They get out of the same car, and they just are like looking at each other. And I'm like, all right, so... Were they talking to the Duke and they didn't know it? And, and that's the Duke's bodyguard or vice versa. Even if like he came out of the shadows or just and, you know, a solo shot, something yeah. to signify that's the Duke. Yeah, that could have hit harder. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, they another post-apocalyptic movie that I love from the 80s is The Road Warrior. Oh, and yeah. in that movie, the villain is known as like the humongous. Hey, when the <laughs> humongous walks on screen, you know who the fucking humongous <laughs> is. It's the giant muscle-clad dude with a steel contraption on his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Mad Max Fury Road, I don't know the name of the villain in that movie. I, off the top of oh, my head. yeah, fucking the guy I control the water. Whatever. Yeah, the water Clown controller. Man. Yeah, you know who that guy is because yeah, he's yeah. the big, fat dude with the most... Nope. He just has yeah. a, a, a visual presence that is like, well, that guy's the fucking leader, Yeah, mm-hmm. obviously. But I didn't feel that way about Isaac Hayes as the Duke. No, I thought he was there to help him or something. Like, yeah. I'll help you with the Duke. I, I was waiting for that. Yeah. <laughs> Even it, if the Duke would have been that gigantic guy in the end that with like the wrestler guy who he's <laughs> like fighting the death with. I'll talk about that guy yeah. in a second. But uh, yeah. But even if that was the Duke and Isaac Hayes was like his number one or something, that would have <laughs> like, I just, yeah, this the way they introduced him. Now we are definitely coming to this movie. 40 years after it was made. Yeah, yeah. And I will point out that Isaac Hayes is was probably a lot more recognizable in 1980. Sure. Because he was a very famous musician at the time. His yeah. album is legendary. He had done the music for Shaft. So I think when Isaac Hayes walked out in front of a 1980s audience, they were like, yeah. well, obviously Isaac Hayes is yeah. going to be the that, leader. Yeah, that's true. He's probably the most famous person of the Dude, criminals. Academy Award winner. Yeah. But us, all these years later, us young lads just watching this movie, it's like, who's yeah. this guy? Who's who's the Duke? Yeah. It feels like just, oh, a cameo. Oh, from this guy. You know, maybe if you know him, but yeah, carried weight last back then. Yeah. So uh, the 
Um, Kurt Russell, uh, he's looking for the president. The president has a tracker on him and he's tracking the tracker, but when he finds it, it's just like a homeless guy who stole it. Uh, so he's kind of fucked and he, he radios in to Lee Van Cleef, like president's dead. Get me out of here. And he's like, you have whatever, 20 hours, do your best or else we're killing you. So, um, like you said, he kind of goes back to the pod. He gets attacked by the underground people. Eventually he makes his way to a person known as the brain who works for the Duke and when Kurt Russell, Snake Plissken, meets the brain, he recognizes him as an old comrade. Uh, somebody who he used to roll with. We don't really know what their backstory is, but we know that the brain, um, who he calls Howard, I believe, betrayed him at one point. So they have a tumultuous relationship, but they end up teaming up. Uh, and another guy, what's funny about this movie is everybody seems to recognize Snake Plissken. Yeah. They just know. He's, he's like a, yeah, He's a celebrity. He's a celebrity. And they're all like, I thought you were dead. Yeah. Um, so he's recognized by uh, this Ernest Borgnine character <laughs> who plays a character named Cabby. Mm-hmm. And he's like a fun uh, cab driver who's been in this New York prison. Well, he says he's been there for 30 years. Yeah. But the prison colony has only been around for 11 years. So I think he's been in New York for 30. Yeah. I don't he's know. Been a, he's been a cabby. Cabby for 30 years. Yeah. So what did he do? Did he just, oh, I love New York. Yeah, wall it up. I'm yeah, staying I'm in not for leaving. Yeah, we, we never get his back. know what else he can do, I guess. Maybe that's a plot hole. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, Kurt Russell puts together a little ragtag team of misfits. Himself, the brain, cabby, and uh, brain's lady, who I don't even think we get her name. Yeah. I don't think we do. Brains lady. Maggie, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is Maggie. It is Maggie. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Lady brain. Um, and, uh, you know, again, this is not the most satisfying plot because the brain is like, well, the Duke has the president. I'll take you over there. He takes him over there. Yeah, it's in a train, right? Something. Yeah. It's- he takes him over there. It's like, yeah, they got the president. All right. Ah, we captured you. Yep. That's what happens. This is kind of, it kind of plays out. You already mentioned it, it kind of plays out like a Western. Yeah. Kurt Russell's kind of going through the tropes that Clint Eastwood goes through in a lot of these movies of like, I'm just trying to help out this town and there's a group of gangsters here, but the gangsters capture me. And then with the help of my friends, I will escape. Do I, I swear to God, I do. I like kept thinking about it. I don't remember snake getting shot with an arrow in the leg. I don't it happens. It, did I miss it or because I probably so he was helping he was saving the president and all of a sudden there was an arrow in his leg. Yes. I was like, when, did, when did that it happen? Happened, it happens so fast. Yeah, it happens right when he goes in there and he goes in. The president overnight. is being kind of uh, watched over by two guys. Yeah. And snake. There's a guy by the door and there's a guy right in front of the president and yeah. snake. You know, the guy by the door is talking like, ah, do something else. And as soon as he stops speaking, snake kind of grabs him and stabs him. Right. Remember that? Yes. And the guy who's in front of the president is holding a crossbow. And so he turns around and sees Snake and shoots him in the leg quickly oh. before Snake shoots him back with a gun. Yeah. I, Must have I, I like but it's so quick. missed that yeah. or something. Yeah. So then he has an arrow in his leg. He leaves it in there. And then uh, when he's captured, Isaac Hayes twists the arrow to torture him. Right. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that I know anything more than John Carpenter because I absolutely do not. But if they had like close-up shot of him being shot or flinching in pain or something that he like, did that happen or did i just miss i don't know i, I think I there saw, was a close-up yeah, i okay. saw him in pain i don't i don't remember there's close-up or not but the, you know i just i saw him get yeah. the president and like limp out and then was yeah. in pain after so like wait, wait when did he get shot yeah i don't know how i missed that all right mm. well uh uh you know later on in the movie there's a scene where snake and the gang are like escaping. Yeah. Uh, like they kind of get out of the situation. They're like, we got to get to the car and they get to the car and, uh, Oh, it's dead. And then the front of the car opens up and yeah. there's another dude with a crossbow. Yeah. <laughs> and then Isaac Hayes is there with like a gun, like a whole army of people with guns and, and uh, snake like shoots at Isaac Hayes yeah. and he like hits a gas tank and they all run away. Right? right. Yeah. And I was just thinking like, wasn't there a guy with a crossbow in the front of that trunk? Like, That's true. What's he doing? Like two feet in front. Didn't a guy have you like at all in a holdup, like pointing across? That dude just vanished. That's yeah, there's true. some weird questions of action in certain parts of this. I felt like I felt like that happened to me a few times in yeah. this movie for sure. Yeah. Um, so I mean, you know what happens is Snake is able to free the president, and there's this kind of stupid plot point. 
that that yeah, New York has been walled off, but the bridges and the tunnels are still intact. But they've been mined. They they have like landmines all over them. Mm-hmm. Why you're flying the prisoners in and like dropping them off? <laughs> yeah. Why not just destroy the tunnels and yeah. bridges? I don't know. Kind of convenient. So they can they can technically escape New York if they're able to navigate the minefield that is this bridge uh, leading out. And the brain apparently has mapped out the minefield, mm. which is hilarious because in a great uh, ironic twist, he's the he's one of the people who steps on a mine. Yeah, he fucked it up <laughs> trying to escape, and he dies. Um, so. They, uh, you know, a lot of shit happens, but they eventually make their way out of captivity. They have the president. They have the tape that they've been looking for. And they just drive and and out of New York. Like, they just go down this mind bridge. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was like, this is such a weak... You've you've spent so much time establishing that nobody can ever get out of New York. Yeah. And these guys yeah. are... They're driving a car out of, out of here. Yeah, that like, seems a little weak. <laughs> what? <laughs> they're like, yeah, you can't cross these bridges. They're covered in mines. Well, these people seem to be doing it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if your option is like live in this hellhole for the rest of your life or 50-50 chance you can navigate this minefield, like why aren't people just meticulous? Just send all these people across the bridge to detonate all the mines until there's no bombs left and then the <laughs> whole city can escape. Like, Yeah, I... Well, there's also like you know guards above the wall who shoot people on sight. I you guess. Have, yeah, but you have like seventy thousand people That's in New true. York. Yeah. Like, just fucking overwhelm them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have a whole sewer system full of crazy people, but yeah. they're they're not crazy enough to just try to barge the mind bridge. Like, that to me was very thin. Like, yeah, yeah logic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Donald Pleasance is the is with them. He's the president. Um, and as they're making their escape, the cabbie Ernest Borgnine gets blown up. That was sad. I wanted him to. Uh, yeah, it. I was sad about Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, sadder than I thought I would be. Um, I've always been a Borgnine guy. Yeah, I wanted Borgnine to make it. Brain gets blown up. Uh, Maggie stays with his body. At this point, only Isaac Hayes is chasing them in a car. Yeah. He's the Duke of New York. He has uh, all of New York is his personal army. Yet he's the only one chasing it's these guys solo. at the end of the movie. Uh, that was also kind of weird to me. Yeah. Well, you know, I would say going back to a smidge when they do have that fight to the death scene. Oh, yeah. And the, the wrestler, whatever, is going to kill him with a bat and whatever. That was a I, I always. It bothers me more than it should when a movie goes from day to night so quickly when the action, like, <laughs> yeah. they do an X-Men uh, Days oh, of Futures Past. I knew you were going to bring that up. Crossing yeah. a bridge, all of a sudden it's night. It's like, well, that w- that's not possible. It was not nighttime then. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Bridge ain't that movie, long, bro. This movie, they're in the thing, it's clearly daylight, and then they go outside the car, and it's all of a sudden it's like pitch black. It's like, well, it's, but it's definitely not, because I just saw what it was. They a all took ago. a breather, you know, before. Yeah. Whatever. It's a dumb what I oh you reminded me that wrestler <laughs> yeah uh, he is uh, he's not famous or well remembered anymore um, but in the seventies he was really popular his name's Ox Baker mm. uh, he had a finishing move called the heart punch oh fuck where oh. he would just punch you in the heart uh, oh. Oh. It sounds like a bad idea. He actually killed a guy. Oh, no, I knew yeah, it once. It. Once you said he did a heart punch. Doing the heart punch, he actually <laughs> killed a guy in the ring. And then for the rest of his career, made that a part of his gimmick. Shut up. Or oh. he would cut promos and be like, you got to step into the ring with a man whose hand has ended a life. No. Before. Oh, no way. Yeah, he's oh, like, I've man. killed a man in the past, and I'll do it again. <laughs> That's like the worst taste. Oh, my uh, God. Cool. So when I saw Ox Baker there, I was like, damn, I, I wouldn't want to step in the ring with that guy. He'll heart punch you to death. <laughs> Holy um, shit. I read oh, some man. trivia that in that fight scene, Ox was giving Kurt Russell some real punches. Uh-oh. And apparently Kurt Russell, like, fucking like punched him in the balls or something <laughs> and it was like yo lay up heart- and he was like all right okay okay respect hard punch meet ball punch yeah, yeah right. what, what hurts more yeah, yeah. What, what kills you quicker yeah so uh shouts out i always appreciate when they get a real professional wrestler yeah a real uh, murderer yeah that's that's yeah. <laughs> well i mean the guy stepped into the ring yeah he knew what he was in for <laughs> you gotta you gotta know but did he 
You gotta That's know. Crazy. If a guy's signature move is the heart punch, <laughs> hey. Oh, you entered the ring? Okay. He's gonna try the heart punch, just yeah. so you yeah, know. Don't let him yeah. punch your heart. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, but yeah, Kurt Russell kills him. Uh so all's well that ends well. Um, so they're making their way across the bridge, and pretty much everybody gets taken out except for Snake and the president. And um Isaac Hayes as the Duke is chasing them. But in the end, you know, there was a little, again, some more dramatic irony because the Duke was torturing the president throughout this movie, making him say, like, who am I? Like, yeah, yeah, the Duke. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, A yeah. number one. Uh. Yeah. Donald Pleasance was, like, trembling throughout the movie. And I don't know if this is true. This is some trivia I read. It said oh. that he was actually a prisoner of war in, oh, real, in real life at one point. Oh, oh my goodness. Damn. And he relied on his experience being a prisoner of war to influence his... To what he oh, acted like yikes. then. Role wow. in this movie, which... I, I thought that, you know, I think Donald Pleasance is an underrated actor because mm-hmm. he kind of makes just, you know, he's famous for being in Halloween movies and yeah, this the- movie. They're kind of B movies. But it always seems like in, in these B movies, he's the only actor who's really trying to be an actor. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. In Halloween, he's always delivering monologues, uh, you know, like he's more evil than human. I tried for 12 years to cure him and. Then I spent the rest of eight years making sure he never saw the light of day again. Just very dramatic stuff. Yeah. Also, coincidentally, he's British and he has a British accent. Oh, okay. In this movie. Yeah, okay. Another uh, fun tidbit is, uh, you know, he plays the president of the United States, but he has a British accent. And so he pitched to John Carpenter, like, this doesn't make sense. We should do a whole backstory explaining why I'm British, but I'm the president. And he proposed this idea that America and England united into one country. Oh. So that British citizens could become president as well. And John Carpenter's like, yeah. Yeah, we don't need that in the movie. So they just don't call attention to the fact that he's British. That's hilarious. But he's like, uh, he gives a very convincing performance as a captive. Yeah, when he's like, like, stop shaking. He's like, I can't. You know, that's interesting. Oh, wow. They're torturing him. You're the Duke. You're a number one. At the end of the movie, it is the president who has a machine gun and he kind of like protects Solid Snake. He kills the Duke and he just keeps shooting him. Yeah, Yeah, Solid Snake. It's not Liquid Snake. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He keeps shooting him going, you're the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You're the Duke. It was it was psychotic, but it was. Yeah. It was pretty it was pretty fun as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I don't know how you guys feel. I was a little disappointed that it, there wasn't a more climactic conclusion or showdown. Sure. Between yeah. Snake and the Duke. You didn't, you know, fist yeah, fight. Yeah, really it was, was kind of whatever. There was nothing. Yeah, yeah fist fight, a conference. Do they even really like exchange words? Not. As far as I remember, no. I don't think they said one thing to each other. Did they? I mean, the Duke I mean, kind of the in, one... interrogates him. And yeah, twists the that's arrow. what I remember. Yeah, he, that happens, but like at the end, there's no final. There's no, like, really. it's not really Snake who defeats the Duke. It's huh. the president. Interesting. Which is, you know, a choice, sure. Um, for me, though, I don't have a problem with the plot. I just wish that there was a little bit more, like, emotional satisfaction yes. in, in this story. That they had built up some sort of stuff that they could pay off in a satisfying way in a final climax. I felt like that was maybe missing from this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys felt. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Again, it was all fun to watch, but it, yeah, it, 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 it just didn't hit the, the, any other levels. It I think just, overall, yeah. that's kind of my whole feeling on this movie was like, it was fun to watch the entire time. Yeah. yeah. But there are a lot of things where it's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> if you I, think about it. I was in love with the production the whole time. The aesthetic of it, the way it was shot, the way they did, like you were talking about the effects earlier, the way, you know what I mean? Like on that, I was really eating up that level of stuff, but on, yeah, the emotional side, the human side, a little, little cold. Yes. Um, at the end of the movie, uh, they get him out of New York and they are about to disactivate the bombs in his neck, but first he needs to hand over the tape, the MacGuffin. So they're like, deactivate the bombs. Wait, give us the tape, snake. And he gives them the tape, and then they zap the bombs, and he checks his watch, and he had two seconds left oh, before he died. So close. They were going to let him die. They would rather Those him die. Fuckers. They could have searched his body for the tape. You know, they cared more about the fucking tape mm-hmm. than they did about Probably hurt his life. feelings. Think about it. Probably hurt his feelings. Yeah. So then the president is getting, like, fixed up makeup because he's, he's going to attend this summit via live television. He's going to give a speech. And Snake goes to talk to him. 
and he's like, I want to thank you. Anything you want is yours. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in your debt. And Snake basically says, I just want a minute of your time. And he asks him this question. He goes, a lot of people died in there trying to get you out. I just want to know how you feel about that. And the president gives him kind of a bullshit answer. Just mm-hmm. like, uh, I appreciate the sacrifice that they made. All right. And he goes on to give the speech. Yeah, Snake, right. okay, <laughs> walks away. And then, uh, so the president gives his speech, you know, and this is going to save the world. What's on this tape? And he plays the tape. And it's like a jazz song. It's from, like Cabby's music. Yeah, from Ernest Borgnine's <laughs> Cab. Um, which is kind of funny. The ending of this movie is controversial hmm. because we find out that Snake has the tape and he rips it up. <laughs> yeah. And people say like, all right, the whole premise of this movie was if you don't save the president and, and get this tape, yeah. The world is going to end in nuclear yeah, war. Yeah, and they allude to that several times. Like, this is bigger than just us in New York. This is about everything. Yeah, yeah. like, the world is going to get nuked. Like, 10 million people are going to die. And so, Snake's like, yeah. <laughs> Breaks the tape. Yep, yep. I did but wonder. So, what, I, what's your take on the ending? Well, th- my take was, like, what the... What why what are we what are we doing? Why did we do all this? You know, like that's kind of my the last thought was like it's badass what he did. It was funny, yeah. But if you only really think about it, yeah, it's like why? What happened here? Because now he's in control, baby. Because because you don't push the button, I push the button. I see. Two different takes on it. Mm-hmm. I I think John Carpenter almost pretty much consistently has the best endings. Every one of his movies, when they end, I'm always like, oh, thank you. <laughs> and this, for me, was no exception. I mean, I have my other complaints, but but not the ending. You like, you like the Because, taping. again, again, yeah, maybe it was all for nothing, but it was on his dime that it was all for nothing. Now, he was the one to make that call. I don't know. That's I, an interesting read on it. Yeah. Um, I love, I actually, the ending confused me. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, it actually, it actually bumped up the movie a whole shaker for me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. A whole shaker because, (laughs) you know, I kind of reflected on the entire movie knowing that that is where it ends. Mm -hmm. And then it, it kind of clicked for me that this is a unabashedly anti-American, anti-government movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. And it all kind of clicks for me in that last scene. They spend this movie talking about how the police are racist. They talk about how Snake, you know, he he lost his friends to the police because they were brutally tortured by the American government. And then... The president is sent into this prison and he is brutally brutalized by the people here. And it feels like Snake kind of asks him at the end of the movie, like, did you learn any lessons about this movie? Um, And to and to put a make a long story short, he basically realizes that the president and the government, they don't give a shit about people. Right. They don't. Right. Right. And that's the job of the government is to take care of American citizens, but they're not taking care of American citizens at all. Yeah. The American population is slowly going insane and their solution is like, ah, oh, we'll just send them to New York. Mm-hmm. Just let them fucking fight it out amongst themselves. Yeah. They really don't give a shit. Yeah. They flush them down the toilet. And then the president is like, has to experience this mess that the government has caused. Like, yeah, you put all the craziest people here. Now you're here. What do you yep. think about that? And he doesn't fucking learn yeah, any lessons. Yeah. Snake is looking for that little, that crack. Right. Like, like, did this in any way change you? Because right now I can, I can make the decision if humanity is going to have another day or not. Uh, so yeah, well, prove me yeah, wrong. Yes. Nope. Well, that's what you're reading on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do think that like, you know, maybe he asked him that question and if he passed the test, he would have given him the correct tape. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. I think he would have. I think it was a question of, do you actually care about saving lives? Do you actually care about people? And the response that he gets makes him think, no, you don't. You care more about winning this political game. Right. You care more about the optics of America coming out on top of this war 
but you don't actually care about the people who have to fight this war. Snake doesn't care about the people either. Snake is just <laughs> in it for himself. At yeah. the end of the day, Snake is looking out for Snake, um, which is what he was always doing throughout the movie. It's at one point in this movie, they're like, I recognize you. You're Snake Bliskin. Like, yeah, they're like, are you a cop? And he goes, no, I'm an asshole. And that to me sums up the character. Yeah, yeah. Are you a cop? No, I'm an asshole. Yeah. Are you on the side of the government? No, I'm on the side of myself. <laughs> and then he like saves the president and he kind of checks in with him like, hey, I just saved you. Was that actually a redeeming thing to do? And then he listens to the president's answers like, no, it wasn't a fucking redeeming thing. This yeah. is just more more bullshit. He's been fucking <laughs> victimized by the government. Yeah. He was this badass soldier. He lost an eye. They totally turned their back on him. They killed all his friends. And now he's saved the president. And the president's like, yeah, thanks. Anyways, I'm going to go on with my job. Yeah. He's like, fuck these guys. Yeah. Fuck your war. Fuck it all. And yeah. he just destroys the tape. And he's like, let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't even think it's necessarily like I have the power. No, no, no. I think no, it's but more of like just a nihilistic like, yeah, fuck this fucked up world. They they deserve what they get, you know? Yeah, it's not. I don't I don't necessarily think he's thinking that in the moment. Like, all right, I'm going to make the next move on whatever. But it's more just, yeah, uh, take, keeping the power for himself, uh, looking out for himself. I liked it. You know, it kind of, yeah. to me, it did, it does illustrate this uh, very real, like it's, it's kind of a political movie. Like does the government actually care about the people or do they just care about the optics of being a winner? Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, I think, yeah. And the city itself, it shows you if that's their solution, they don't care about the people. They, yeah. yeah it, it and also New York is the crowning uh, achievement of America. When right. you think about it's the biggest city in America. It's the most famous city in America all over the world. When people think of America, they often think of New York. Yeah. So it is representative of America and the government has purposely turned it into a shithole. Right. Which could be an allegory for all of America. Yeah. They've abandoned it. Um, so they failed in their duty and he doesn't want to contribute to their efforts, mm -hmm. which I think is pretty cool. It's a pretty cool, uh, theological philosophical message. For the movie to end on. Yeah. So even though the movie to me didn't have a lot of emotionally satisfying points, that one did feel emotionally satisfying. Mm -hmm. Even though it was confusing in the moment, you thought about it later. You're like, that really explains a lot about this snake character and his disillusionment with the with the government, which carries on into, I believe, Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. I feel like Hideo Kojima picked up on that, too, of like. You may be on the side of this army, but does that make you the good guy? Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe there are no good guys. Yeah. And 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 I'm and I'll take a step further. Metal Gear Solid 3 has a very sim I felt like very similar ending to this where it was just not it, there's already that energy in all of them, but it, Metal Gear Solid 3 especially has a like oh, oh, um, um, does America care about its people at all? That that same kind of moment is there. Mm. Not exactly the same scene for scene, but um, very, very similar outcome. Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So let's do some popcorn shakers. All right. I'll start since I picked it. Um, I really had a fun time watching this movie. There's problems, as we said before, but like it's just a fun early 80s movie with Kurt Russell and like in a post-apocalyptic world. For me, it's a, you know, three and a half shakers. I liked it a lot. Okay, nice. I give it three shakers, bumped up from a two, because I like that ending so much. Mm -hmm. It's a solid, it's a solid romp. It's yep. lacking in some parts, but it makes up for it. It makes you want to see Escape from L.A. to see if they, like, improved it or is better. I've yeah. seen Escape from L.A. I saw that as a kid. I saw that before I, mm. I saw this oh. movie. Escape from L.A. is a higher budget movie, and it's a more goofy it's the same exact plot, basically. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he has to go into the Los Angeles prison camp to save, uh, like, a weapon of mass destruction has been stolen. Mm. They they inject him with a virus instead of a oh, bomb this okay. time. It's the same shit. I actually think this movie is probably better just because it's the original. Yeah. Right? And Escape from L.A. is kind of a carbon copy with a bigger budget, and it's a little mm. bit sillier. Gotcha. Yeah, I feel like that's what I heard my whole life. I never heard it was like, eh, you know, you could watch it, you know. Okay. I, I never heard anything that great about it. 
they're just trying to be fun movies. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I give it three. What about you, Rocco? Um, I, again, like I said earlier, a uh, little lacking on the emotional side, like you said. Um, really, for me, it was the production. Um, I, I want, I do. We never brought it up, but John Carpenter's music in this movie. Oh yeah, I fucking love uh, the design of everything. Just uh, this was shot by the man Dean Cundey. Uh, shouts out Dean Cundey shot Back to the Future shot Jurassic Park all the if it was a good movie he probably shot it he's shooting Mandalorian right now but oh. that's he's like he like retired a long time ago so he's just kind of fucking around but anyway uh, yeah all uh, it was more the production that I loved I want to give it a three and a half but I always like to round it because I don't like to leave it the point five so I'm gonna, I'm gonna round it up to a four because I really really enjoyed that side of it Sometimes that's all I need, and I'll, I'll want to watch it again just because of the production side of it. Um, you know, story-wise, not definitely not not his best, not his best. Cool. But yeah. Well, I'm glad I made you watch it then. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah, I was happy. I was happy. Like I said, every John Carpenter movie, I'm like, damn, why didn't I watch this sooner? I feel like I didn't see any John Carpenter movie until the last like ten years. I don't know yeah. what happened. Like, yeah, zero. I don't know what that was either. And then every time I see one, I'm, even well, once that rated R. Yeah, I guess so. But but even still, like my family, there had a lot of like rated R sci-fi movies and whatever that they were into, you know, that we had. But you know, I wouldn't watch necessarily. But yeah, John Carpenter's movies, my parents had never even like heard of. Like they didn't mm. know shit about the thing or any of that. Yeah, I had to find that on my own. So anyway, I did read that they uh, are were planning on remaking this movie. I saw with- that too. Chris Hemsworth, yeah, as Solid Snake, wow. yeah. Um, and, but as of 2016, that has not happened. Uh, and now it's rumored that they're going to be making a prequel. Oh, but again, we haven't really heard about that in like eight or nine years uh, or seven years. So we'll see if that happens or not. Uh, I hope they just leave it. Yeah, let it be. Yeah, I, I don't see. I don't see coming out of that going. Oh, fuck! I'm so glad they did that. Yeah. The one last thing I wanted to mention is, do you know who they wanted to get, uh, the studio wanted before Kurt Russell? Did um, you see anything about that? Oh, what, I did. did was it? let you say. Like, thank you. Charles Bronson or Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, were there. okay. But I don't, I mean, Kurt Russell was the one. To yeah. Go I thought at one point they talked with Jeff Bridges too. At, maybe after they could, oh, didn't. And Jeff Bridges was like, this is not my thing. Not his thing. But then a year later, what did Jeff Bridges do? The big the Lebowski. He hit the grid, baby. Oh, fuck. I was wrong. Tron. Shit. Hey. Oh. Hey, Duke. Ha ha. Tommy here. Snake Pliskin. That's Tommy <laughs> Lee Jones is Snake Pliskin. I'm Snake Pliskin, and uh, I, I, I couldn't think of I can't do a Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, I didn't kill the coffee. Duke. Oh. I don't care. I don't care. Okay, so that is Escape from New York. Next week, we're going to be doing a movie that I'm picking, Mm. and I am going to try. So this is a movie I've heard of. I wanted to see it. Uh, I heard it's great, actually, so I hope it is. (laughs) We're going to be doing Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, Mm. okay. All right. That's a newer movie, right? It sure is. Okay, great. So check back in with us next week to see our review of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. This is the end of Movie Club. Uh, We did Escape from New York, and now you can escape from this video. Thank God. (laughs) Bye-bye.